It's good to have the worship team up here live again, and uh, we'll be doing more of that, not every week, but as we are able. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's, it's been good being back together these last couple of months, hasn't it? Meeting in person like this and being able to see each other instead of just watching a, a screen. The screen was great while we could do that, while that's what we all we could do, but it's just so much better being in person. Um, since we've been back in the building, I uh, just want to share uh, something before we get into the message uh, that I want to talk about. But since we've been back in the building, uh, a number of you have asked and pointed out, asked about the water stains in the, on the tiles in the hallway and throughout parts of the building. Um, we've been battling roof leaks for a number of years now, chasing down a leak here and a leak there and trying to catch up with it. And it's, it's been a never-ending battle. So we had a few roofing companies come out uh, to take a look at it and give us estimates of what it would run and uh, to, to fix it. And the consensus among the roofing companies was, you need a new roof. He said, you, you will continue to chase down leaks uh, if you just try to patch or repair, um, which is what we've been, matches what we've been doing the last several years. Um, so uh, we got some estimates and uh, uh, compared them and uh, found uh, the, the best one. And uh, it looks like after uh, we got some insurance adjustment due to some wind and water damage. Um, and after the insurance adjustments, we need about $16,800. Now, how many know that sounds like a lot to us, but God is more than able to do that. I mean, during the pandemic, we saw God do some amazing things uh, uh, financially as well as in other areas, uh, made some amazing provision uh, for us. So. Um, we want to ask that you would, number one, really be praying with us about that. Just say, God, let's see what you can do. Let's, you know, Lord, you know we need the new roof. You know we, we need that. And uh, uh, let's uh, ask him, uh, be bold in asking him. You know, we can go to his throne of grace and truth. We can go with boldness. We can go with confidence. Um, so we ask that you'd pray with us about that. Um, and, but... Uh, also, if you feel the Lord leading and would like to help, we are taking the month of May and we've added a, uh, another option uh, on our website for giving, which you can choose the regular giving, or, or, uh, but we've added an option for roof fund. And if you would like to uh, donate to that, you can go to our website, choose roof fund and give that way. Uh, or if you'd rather give uh, cash or check, and you feel the Lord leading you, just make sure that you clearly mark the check in the memo, just say roof in the memo, uh, or put the cash in an envelope and say roof, and then drop it in one of the boxes by the doors uh, when you have, uh, w when, you, uh, when you go out or when you come in dur during this month. Um, and we'll, we'll keep that up there until we, you know, until uh, the funds come in, but we're really making an emphasis this month to try to get this done before uh, we get too much uh, more water in the building. Uh, all that we ask is that whatever you give for the roof would be in addition to your regular giving and not taken out of your regular tithes or offerings. Um, 
uh, that really wouldn't help us. Uh, it would just be diverting it from one thing to another because we need that too. So anyway, uh, pray about it and ask God what he would have you to do. And uh, let's watch and see what God does because he's going to meet this need. All right? All right. Today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible that, I mean, quite frankly, if this story was about any one of us, we really wouldn't want it talked about. We really wouldn't want it shared with people. Um, uh, most of us, if not all of us, are very familiar with it, but if it was about us, if we were the person in the story, we really wouldn't want to uh, have it publicized because it's a story of failure. And nobody likes to, to fail at something, right? We all like to succeed. But this is a story of failure. And yet at the same time, it's a story that gives us hope. Pastor Eli Morris said, hope is the expectation of God's goodness. The expectation of God's goodness. And as we'll see, that's exactly what this story gives. It gives us an expectation of his goodness. By looking at Peter's failure, we can have hope for when we fail. So let's go ahead and read the story. It's in Luke chapter 22, starts in verse 54. It says, so, and they're talking, it starts off in the garden of Gethsemane when, you know, Judas has come and he's betrayed Jesus and uh, uh, the, the people are there to arrest Jesus and so it says, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. After, or excuse me, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. It's cold, so they're warming their hands around the, around the courtyard, around the fire in the courtyard. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. You know that stare like, where do I know this guy? Where have I seen him before? And then finally she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. And about an hour, hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. In other words, they could tell by his accent. They could tell by the way he talked that he was from Galilee. Uh, so he must be one of them. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard and weeping bitterly. I mean, think about it. If that was you, would you want that story about you in the scripture for people to read and to know about forever? Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word, we thank you that the Bible doesn't just give us the stories of people's success and the good stories, but your word also tells us just the truth about your disciples and, and people and 
And it's, it's a very real book. It's a very real account of what took place. We thank you because in those stories we can find ourselves sometimes. So now we ask that you would come as we open our hearts and we open our ears and help us to hear the things that you want to speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's think about this for a moment. <clears throat> Peter was one of Jesus' top disciples. I mean, nobody was closer to Jesus than Peter, James, and John. Those three were kind of an inner circle. Um, they got to experience things that the others did not. For example, just a couple examples here. First, you know, Jesus only took three disciples with him when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was transfigured before him. Remember that? He, he takes the th three disciples up, and he's transfigured before them. In other words, he's, we, they get to see him in his glorified body, and, and Moses and Elijah appeared with him. Uh, he t only had three disciples that he took up with him, and who were those three? It was Peter, James, and John. And then another example, when Jesus raised Jairus, his daughter, from the dead, he arrives and he puts everyone else out of the room except for the girl's parents and the disciples who were with him. Who were they? Well, as you read the story, once again, you see there were Peter, James, and John. This must have been devastating to Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. It must have been devastating to him when he realized, when the realization hit him that not only had he just denied even knowing Jesus, he denied him when he needed him the most. I mean, not only, not, not only had he done that, but the fact that Jesus knew all along that Peter was going to deny him. He knew it all along. He knew it earlier in the evening when, they were, uh, when Jesus was washing Peter's feet at the dinner table. He knew it all throughout all the proclamations that Peter made of, I'll follow you anywhere, I'll die for you, and you know, I'm with you, and, I'll, you know, and that all these declarations of loyalty and, and faith. And, and here it was just a few hours later, and Peter had already denied three times that he even knew Jesus. And to make matters worse, as he's saying it the third time, the rooster crows, Jesus' words come back to his mind, and Jesus turns and catches his eye, looks right at him. And Jesus' words just sunk in. I want to ask, have you ever felt like Peter must have felt at that moment? Have you ever felt that after all I've said and done, after all God's done for me, I just failed him? In spite of all our determination and, and declarations that we're going to stay faithful to God, and God, I'll do whatever you ask, that, that, and that you that in your determinations that you weren't going to fail him. I mean, you committed your life to him. You told him, Lord, I'll go wherever. I'll do whatever you ask. Whatever you ask, I'll do it. You just say the word on yours. Spend my life as you will. You ever pray, played that prayer? Prayed that? Have you ever said those words to God? <laughs> I'll get it out one way or the other. 
Uh, you know, just just spend me however you want. You know, we say that in times of faith. We say that in time. You know, with with boldness and that, and that, and and yet, a few hours later, we find ourselves not listening to God, and just going our own way anyway. And God saying, uh, "Dave, Dave, what about this?" And oh, God doesn't say Dave to you, but He does to me. Um, and you know. Maybe you go your way and, and um, you're on your way to lunch and you see someone, and, and this has happened to me. I'll just be upfront. This has happened to me. I see a, someone there that looks like they're homeless and I feel this nudge inside of me, this, this thing that says, buy that person lunch. Buy, and, the, and then, you know, I start to think of all the reasons why I can't right now. Well, this really isn't a good time, Lord. I'm in a hurry. Um, besides, there's so many homeless people. I can't buy lunch every time I see someone who's homeless. You know, I, 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 I just can't do that. And you go on your way. And, you know, there's this growing sense that, you know, you know, I think it was really God telling me to buy that man lunch. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to do it turn around, go back to where they were, and find out that they're gone. They're no longer there. And you realize you failed God. He, he, he asked you to do something, and you came up with excuses, came up with reasons, and ignored him. And, and you know, you may not have had that same experience that I just shared, but you've had others. You see, the truth is every single one of us fails God in some way at some point. And when we do, and when we realize it, the enemy is right there to do what? To heap all kinds of condemnation, all kinds of guilt. God, I missed you after I said I would do this, after I said I'd follow you anywhere, I'd do anything you asked. You asked me to do something simple like this, or, and all of a sudden I've just, I've failed you. And he's there to, to, to heap all kinds of, you call yourself a Christian. All kinds of guilt and condemnation. But here's the thing. There's good news. Because Jesus doesn't just leave us in our failure. He restores us. We've been looking at portraits of Jesus in this series. And today we're going to look at our final portrait as we wrap up this series. And actually, I may follow this up at some point in the future with more portraits of Jesus. Because there, there are so many that we could do. But we're going to wrap this up with looking at Jesus, the restorer. So far, we've looked at Jesus, the king, Jesus, the compassionate, Jesus, the healer. <clears throat> Today, we're looking at Jesus, the restorer. Now, what do we mean by restore? Well, the definition of restore is to give back or return, to bring back into existence or use, to, to bring back or to put back into a former or original state renew, to put again in possession of something. We are going to look at how this took place in the Apostle Peter's life, and then we're going to look at the implications that it has for you and for me. Now, we've already read about Peter's failure in denying that he already knew Jesus. While Jesus was on trial, first off, none of the disciples, none of them spoke up for Jesus. Do you realize that? You know, we look at Peter, and Peter denied him, but we also got to realize that none of the disciples, you know, spoke up, uh, uh, spoke up for Jesus. So, 
you know, but Peter, instead of standing up for Jesus, he denied that he even knew. I don't even know the guy in one scripture, or, or excuse me, one of the gospels even says that he called down curses on himself, you know, because he, he denied knowing him. And then uh, Jesus was falsely convicted. He was sentenced to death. He was crucified. And then he rose from the dead on the third day and he appeared to his disciples and a number of the others. And Peter still had this nagging guilt hanging over his head. He still lived with his failure. He still lived with the shame of denying him. So one day Peter decides, he goes, I'm just going to go back to my old fishing boat and I'm going fishing. And some of the others said, I will go with you. And they joined him and they went fishing. And, and after no success all night, they didn't catch anything all night. Jesus appears on the shore, but there's enough distance. They don't recognize him. Uh, uh, right away they don't he they don't realize it's him and and he calls out to them and he has says you know haven't you caught anything no we haven't cast your net on the other side of the boat and and when they do they literally catch a boatload of fish okay i mean and all of a sudden it brought to peter's mind wait a minute this story seems real familiar cast your net over here and then the fish you know just it's like they almost leap into the boat uh, well, then at that point, John recognizes Jesus and he says, it's the Lord. And then Peter, impetuous as he is, he covered himself up because he'd taken his cloak off to, to, to work. He covered himself up and he jumps in the water, swims to shore while the others bring the, the boat ashore. And Jesus invites them to, the, uh, to a breakfast, which he had already prepared for them, and they ate. And then after breakfast, Jesus and Peter take a walk together. And the others may have followed some, I don't know, but we see Jesus and Peter. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 15 of John 21, where we see a wonderful story of God's restoration. Jesus and Peter are walking along, and it's very possibly, we don't know for sure, but it's very possibly the first time that they've had any one-on-one -on -one since uh, Peter's failure. Okay, um, you know, but it's 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 one on one with Jesus because the, the two of them just talking, and it's very possibly the first time they've had one on one time together. It, so this was Peter's denial was the elephant in the room, so to speak. Uh, and then picking up in verse fifteen, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let others know by what kind of death he would glorify God. In other words, that he would be martyred. And then Jesus told him, follow me. 
as we look at this passage, I want to look at what Jesus did and what he did not do. Okay? And I want to begin with something that Jesus did not do. Jesus did not bring up Peter's failure. He did not bring up Peter's failure. When I was in high school, my dad bought a brand new car. Nothing fancy. It's a 74 Dodge Dart. How fancy can you get with that? But it was his first new, brand new car in several years. And uh, uh, he had done the research. He had looked at several different cars, decided on this one, and bought it, paid cash for it. My dad always did that. Um, he didn't like car loans. He would you know, save up until he could buy cash, and he would, he would pay cash for it. He had it for about three months. And while he was out of town one time on a business trip, uh, I got in an accident in it. I wrecked it. I 71st in Keystone in Indianapolis. I turned left in front of traffic. And uh, let's just say I rearranged the right rear quarter panel quite a bit on, the, on his brand new car. That night on the phone, as well as once he got home from his trip, he didn't ask me why I wasn't more careful. He didn't ground me. He didn't yell at me. He didn't even get mad at me. He was just glad that I wasn't hurt. In the same way, Jesus never mentioned Peter's failure to him. He didn't say, Peter, why did you tell those people you didn't even know me? There was no, how could you do that to me? There was, neither was there any, you know, I told you so, Peter. Didn't I tell you this was going to happen? Yep, I told you, and it happened. There was none of that. He never mentioned Peter's failure to him. So, that's what he didn't do. What did Jesus do? What Jesus did was, first of all, he reaffirmed their relationship. He reaffirmed their relationship. That's what really mattered, and that's what Peter needed more than anything right then. Peter needed to know that Jesus still loved him, and that he hadn't just tossed him aside and discounted him. He needed to know that God still had plans for him. See, Peter's failure did not mark the end of their relationship. Their relationship was not over. So Jesus reaffirms his relationship with Peter three times. And the next thing he did, he also restored Peter's leadership. He restored, Peter had been a leader all along, uh, sometimes fumbling, sometimes, you know, impetuous, putting his foot in his mouth, yes, all of that, but he was a leader among the apostles. And, and uh, uh, Jesus restored him to this position of leadership. Three times Peter had denied Jesus, and now three times he asked him, do you love me? And when, G when Peter replied, yes, you know I love you, then Jesus told him, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And in saying that, the Lord was telling Peter, I'm not done with you. I still have work for you to do, and I'm counting on you to do it, and I believe that, you are, that, that, that you're going to do it. I believe in you. 
Peter still had a ministry, and that ministry was to lead and to care for God's people. So instead of bringing up Peter's failure, Jesus reaffirmed their relationship. He restored Peter's uh, uh, ministry and, and leadership among God's people. So that's what he did for Peter. What does this say to you and to me when we fail? What does this say to us? What are the implications? First off, Jesus, it tells us that Jesus is more interested in our future than he is in our past. It doesn't matter how many times you fail, you feel that you failed Jesus in the past. Three times, 30 times, 300 times, 3,000 times. That doesn't matter. Jesus is more interested in where you're going than in where you've been. So don't let past failures keep you from moving forward. Jesus still has a place for you. If you're still breathing, and if you're not, raise your hand, we'll get some help right away. But if you are still breathing, then God still has a place for you. He is not done with you. He's more interested in from where you are right now to where you are going than how you got to where you are. Second thing, our relationship is stronger than our failure. See, our failure does not cancel relationship. You're not kicked out of God's family just because you mess up. Jesus doesn't stop loving you just because you mess up. There is grace in relationship. See, it's not just a thing of, you know, toe the line, check off the check marks, and make sure you do everything just right. It's relationship. And in relationship, we have grace. There's understanding. Doesn't mean he excuses when we fail him, but he understands us and he pours grace into our lives. You see, if in our earthly relationships, God tells us to make allowances for each other, which he does, to, to, to make allowances for each other, for our weaknesses, for when we fail. If, if God tells us that in our earthly relationships, don't you think God will give us grace when we fail? Of course he will. His throne is a throne of what? Grace and truth. Grace to help in time of need. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Our relationship with God is stronger than our failure, and therefore it will survive our failure. Failure is not the final word. Jesus is. Jesus is the final word, and we need to remember that. And that brings us to our third implication. In the aftermath of failure, our purpose remains. In other words, failure doesn't cancel our purpose. Doesn't mean that God's done with us and now he's moved on to someone else because we've just blown it. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22 in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me, Again, strengthen your brothers. Now, first off, I want to point out, I like the NIV translation uh, better than probably any other in this. 
because it brings out what Jesus is saying. A lot of translations just say, Simon, Simon, you know, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you. Well, the you, the first you is plural. We don't see that in the English, but if you look in the Greek, you'll see that. The first you is plural, the second one is singular. So this brings that out. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Each of the disciples, they're all going to be tested. We are all tested, every one of us. And, and, but then he, Jesus tells Peter that he specifically prayed for him. Said, Simon, Satan's asked to sift you all, leak, all, 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 sift you all like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Notice, he specifically points to Peter and says, I am praying for you. He knew what was going to happen. He knew Peter would struggle. So he prayed specifically for him and said, and then he said, when you have repented and turned. In other words, he had confidence, even in Peter's failure, that Peter was going to turn out all right, that Peter was going to come back, that his failure wouldn't last, that he wasn't going to remain in it, but he was going to step out of his failure and be the person that God knew he could be. When you have repented and turned, and then he said, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. He's giving him his ministry back. He's giving him his leadership back. Maybe you feel like you failed God, and maybe you feel like you didn't live up to God's expectations. You need to know that Jesus still has a purpose for you. He's not done with you. He still has a purpose for you. He still has things for you to do. He still has ministry for you to do. Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he laid out beforehand in ages past for us to do. Those works still stand. He still has a difference he wants to make. Using you. And if we allow him to restore us, he will use us. He will use us, every one of us. Let's have our worship team come back up. We're going to prepare to take communion together. If you don't have uh, the communion supplies, then uh, just raise your hand high. And we'll have Josh come around with the basket and give them to you. Yeah, we've got several over here. Everybody on this side served? Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. And then the worship team is going to lead us in one more song. And as they lead us in that song, as we worship with the final song, then I want you to really let the words of the song sink in. And I want you to think, are you feeling like somehow you failed God? Could be a big way, could be a small way. Doesn't matter, the enemy just takes advantage of it all the time. He just whispers in our ear. 
And if that's so, then listen to God speak to you as we take communion together. Listen to him reaffirm his relationship with you, his love for you. Remember Romans 5.8 says this, God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, in other words, while we were failing him miserably, while we were denying him like Peter, that's when Christ died for us. So let's take communion together. Um, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul's writing this. One who himself had experienced tremendous failure. He thought he was, you know, fighting for God. He was zealous for God, and yet he was persecuting the church until God got a hold of his life and God gave him a vision of Jesus and Jesus transformed his life, restored him to a true passion for God. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after, cup, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a covenant of grace. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Father, I pray for each one of us here. If we're honest, we know that we've all failed you in some way or another. And yet, you've made provision that we don't have to stay there. Because of the cross, we have forgiveness. Because of the resurrection, we have new life. And we can walk in freedom from our failure. We can walk in freedom from our failure. So now, Lord, help us to leave that behind us and to walk in the fullness of everything you have for us as we move ahead in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you, as we sing this song, you can stand, you can sit, whatever you want, but as we sing this song, let the word sink in and just give your heart to the Father.
going to dismiss as we do. Um, want to remind you, just leave any failures, shortcomings, whatever, leave them here and walk out of this room without them. If you uh, have your tithes and offerings, you can put, drop them in the boxes on the way out or go to our website, uh, bloomingtonvineyard.com and uh, uh, give it there or on the uh, uh, mail it into the church PO box. Now, let me give you this blessing. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you in your successes and your not so successes. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. God bless. Go in his name. Amen. You're dismissed.